We are only, Lord willing, about three weeks away from finishing our series on David. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. Um, how does a man or a woman see themselves? I cannot uh, get out of my mind a message I heard from uh, Brother Kenny at Journey two years ago, uh, where I might even said before, he said, um, how does God see you? How do you see yourself? How do others see you? And how do you see others? Very important in the Christian walk. Uh, and today, we're just going to basically look at how does David see himself at the end of his life. Turn to Second Samuel chapter 23. We'll read verses 1 through 7. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. He shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall be all his thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron in the shaft of a spear. They shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. The last words of David. Now we would know, right, that these aren't the last words. In fact, it will be confusing if you hear it that way, because in two weeks we hear his last words to his son, his last recorded words biblically. Uh, But this would almost be the idea of This is his last psalm, so to speak. Um, This is his last kind of composition that the musician David is going to write down for us. And he is uh, doing this at the end of his life. And just for a little side note, I think it's interesting. I um, was assigned the first chapter here in this series. Remember, we looked at five things Saul's servant said about David. It's interesting how many of those parallel with what he says about himself here later on in life. But let's look to the Lord. Jesus Christ, again, we thank you that uh, one of your names uh, would be Son of David. How does that work? Um, How does um, God put himself in line with those who he has created? Thank you so much that you are the great I Am, and that there is a literal kingdom coming in which you will literally reign, and then you will... Take us on to glory forever to be with you. Thank you so much for your plan. Um, We pray that you would edify us right now, that you would build us up, that I would be controlled by your spirit, that you would do a mighty work. Is this the day you just decided to just pour out so much more extra blessing, that we would uh, be on fire for you spiritually, that the words of this uh, portion of your word would just be used by the spirit of God and uh, invoke in us uh, a will and desire to serve and love you more. So we pray that for our lives. Thank you so much uh, for being patient with us. Be 
honored and glorified above all. We pray that we would uh, make heaven uh, pleased with what goes on here today. In your name, amen. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. I'm going to spend a lot of time really on the first verse. I think it's interesting how he sees himself. And then we will move on through the chapter. But it says, thus says David, the son of Jesse. Right away, at the end of his life, he's kind of describing himself, and he wants to start with who his dad is. He wants to start with his humble beginnings. We would know, right, that he is one of eight boys. He is the youngest. And I think that's a good thing. I think he understands, and again, we've gone over this Week by week, maybe this is one of the pieces of why he is a man after God's own heart. He's done a lot of good things. He's made some mistakes. And at the end, he's going to sit there and say, listen, I recognize and I understand that I'm son of Jesse. I know where I came from. I'm nothing more than a son, the runt of the litter of a big family of a man in Bethlehem. Not a lot of prestige. We did farming, we did some sheep, that's about it, and now I'm king over this country. I know where I've come from. And so again, I think it would be great for all of us to recognize that in our own lives. I really do want to recognize my salvation more and more the older I get. You know, for me, it's not something that uh, my salvation kind of goes away the older I get, and I want to work on more of building up my spiritual walk. In fact, I'm thinking of the verse that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. My salvation means more and more to me the older I get. And I don't want to forget that. I don't want to lose that. And I don't think David necessarily did. Because we all have humble beginnings, right? Because the Gospel would say... You've offended God, and His wrath is actually upon you. You can't really get more humble than that. In fact, through humility is when someone realizes, I need a Savior. I need one. And so, when we start to look back at our lives, it's easy to see the accomplishments and things like that of our life, but it's very good to just sit there and say, there was one day specifically where eternity was changed for me, and God saved me. Because when you look at the rest of your life through that lens, it changes the circumstances. Because at the end of the day, no matter what happens down here, whether you are going through a lot of trials and tribulations, or whether you are blessed, whether you're king of a country, or you're still a shepherd, you know you're saved. You know heaven awaits. I sat there and thought of even my own family, not that... uh, Education is by any means uh, something that's really looked upon highly in my family, but it was pretty cool. Uh, I think it was like two or three Christmases ago. Have you ever been to Dirk Christmas um, in our house? It's absolutely insane. I love it. My mom's side of the family, uh, one of six, was my mother. And so the story goes something like my grandfather, I think, made it to eighth grade. Um, I'm not sure about my grandmother's education. Again, if the story is not like this, it sounds good. Grandpa worked three jobs, was a milkman, just to put food on the table. Grandma had to work two jobs 
feed a family of six. Um, my mom would say the stories of they would literally, the big treat would be to split one Snickers bar between six of them. All right. Um, and so my mom still thinks that's a big deal, but I've moved on. But um, the idea, though, is one Christmas, for some reason, we want to um, count how many people actually had a college degree now in the family, the kids and the grandkids. And I think it was something like 12 or 13. And it was kind of weird, a weird moment where the whole family kind of realized, well, like here's if grandma and grandpa were alive, you know, barely made it out of school, period. And yet down the road, a lot of their kids and grandkids would have college degrees, master's degrees, things like that. And that was pretty cool to see a very humble beginning and then see because of their hard work where the family could kind of turn up. And so obviously education is very valuable, but when you look at our salvation, <laughs> when you look at what, what God had brought David from, it's amazing. And I love the fact that he wants to start here with his last words saying, listen to me, I'm the son of Jesse. Do you, I mean, would you even think the rest of the country would know who Jesse is? I mean, what, 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 the rest of the country is like, who's Jesse? That's your dad? Jesse's a no one, right? I mean, literally, he's a no one to the rest of the country, I'm assuming. What about the rest of the extended family? You ever think about Jesse's siblings, if he had some? Like, out of the blue, your brother Jesse tells you, hey, Samuel came over, and my youngest son is going to be king one day. Like, do you, you imagine what that's like? You're like, what'd you say? And now, are we, are we, when David becomes king, um, hello, David, remember, we're related. Are we, do we get to go to the palace now? We get to hang out, get some of that king's food, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it, it must have been amazing. He wants to see himself as the son of Jesse. And I think it's a good lens for us to stay humble and recognize where we come from. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 26. It says, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. You understand that it was God's perfect plan to be born in Jesse's house. And that should cause you to think about your theology a little bit. So you have established that David will be king, and you made him the runt of the litter. You made him a shepherd boy in Jesse's house. That's, that was the design, to be put and born in that family. Not a family of prestige, not a family that was the least warrior, if he's going to be a warrior later. Not a family of, uh, you know, anything but simple farmers. I, I'm just kind of getting used to how God works now, right? When you read the Bible, it's never the way it seems. It's kind of like you get to the point where like, well, of course, God would use the shepherd from Bethlehem instead of the other elite families. And so the reason I say that I really want us to start to think 
and not to get all psychological, but your family, the one you were born into, and some of your past history of family, is God-ordained. And as families break down and stuff like that, we can kind of push that away, but Scripture would say different. God placed you in your family for a specific reason. And that's pretty interesting to me. And to figure out why. Why would God put me in my family? Why during this time? You know, as much as sometimes we want to run away from this time or something like that, and a lot of scripture warns against that, by the way, think about how God had a plan for you and placed you in this specific time and age, in this country, in this place, in your family. That's interesting to me. I like to see how God works through all that stuff. I like to really think about why God does what he does. Don't get me wrong. There are some of us that are third, fourth generation Christians. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice in the fact that there is a spiritual lineage. And that because of that, maybe... Uh, we had better training. We had better um, love and guidance at home. And there are those of us who have been saved out of a home that just was broken and messed up. Just destroyed. And you know, God is faithful in both. And God can use both situations. Um, I just, again, I think of David thinking about the fact that he says, son of Jesse. I was thinking about that again with, um, we were at Westwood's Bible Chapel this week, a little concert. And it kind of hit me for some weird reason. I was like, wow, that's weird. I have known Bill Kane, who is the uh, principal there. I've known him my whole life. Um, I don't know, since I was two, because him and my father did a work at Camp Berea. And I started to think, like, why, why do I even know Bill Kane? Like, I just kind of assume it's normal. I, I moved down here. I sent my kids to Westwoods this year. I know Bill Kane. I've heard of Westwoods Bible Chapel. And I'm kind of thinking, like, that's interesting. Like, I shouldn't even know these people. And I started to think of, you know, the simple fact that my dad worked with Bill all those years ago. And that it was simply one person when my dad got saved said, hey, you should go counsel at boys camp. My dad was a new Christian thinking, okay. And he went. And, and through that one person saying, you should go counsel, my father did a ministry at Camp Rhea for years, directed boys camp. Him and Bill Kane, as a kid, it was the coolest thing in the world to see him and uh, Bill Kane and other men run this camp and stuff like that. And so now when I go see Bill Kane, I'm just like, hey, this is like the guy's part of my life. But there's a beginning there is my point. There's the beginning. My father, again, as, as uh, as a lot of you know, or I feel like it, I don't know now we talk about it more, but my father's background was awful. And uh, 
it's really not about my father at all, as much as I start to, it increases my faith to think that one day, so again, my father had like three or four different dads, um, with just a, a punk, a fighter, all those kinds of things, and uh, so one day someone witnessed to him, and, and that was it. My dad started reading the Bible, got saved, and so now I look back, and I'm just like, my goodness, like, to me, it's normal to hang out in a Christian school with Bill Kane, these guys I've known my whole life, to be in like a, a nice atmosphere. And if you were hanging out with my father when he was 16, 17 years old and told him his sons will be sending their kids to a Christian school and that they might be preaching and stuff like that, you, you would completely laugh at that guy. You would completely laugh at him and say, what in the world are you talking about? That would never, ever be John Clifford's sons. Ever. And it really does convict me again to witness and to realize that there are so many people with crazy backgrounds that 20, 30 years down the road you would have never known because of the work God did in them. You would have never known. And I think it's cool to think about that stuff. I think it's God honoring to think about that stuff. And I think David had it. Where David sits here and goes, listen, I'm the son of Jesse. I want you to know that. I want you to know where I came from. I'm not this guy that just became king overnight. I'm the son of Jesse. And I think it's really cool that in Revelation, Jesus says, I am the root and the offspring of David. That Jesus Christ now basically says, I'm a son of David. How can that be? (laughs) How can Jesus Christ, the the God of the universe, now want to tell people, listen, I'm the root. I'm the one that made David, but I am also from his line, a man who walked the earth. I want to let you know that. And it seems important enough to Jesus Christ himself to say that and record it forever in Scripture. Wants us to know, I'm from the line of David. That's my background. And as Brian did... I know a few weeks ago before, the lineage of Jesus Christ. It is amazing the lineage that he came from. If you would think of trying to prepare the Messiah along the way, and what families would you do these things with? What, what circumstances would you put into place to make sure the line of the Messiah was going to come to fruition? It would not be the people in that genealogy. You would not pick those people. You would not pick their families. I still think when I was reading this of Naomi. Naomi is David's grandma. Lost her husband and lost both sons. Now you sit there and say, that's the, that's the family God wanted you to be in. That's exactly where he wants you. Naomi, I don't think, would ever understand what came after her. <laughs> But in that moment, in that life, that's horrible. Lose a husband and both sons. Not a good family to be a part of. And yet she is now in the lineage of the Messiah. 
the one who will save everyone from their sins, those who put their faith and trust in him. That's amazing. So it should encourage us, regardless of your background, what God can do, and to remember your humble beginnings. David says he's the man raised up on high. He acknowledges his position in Christ, and he acknowledges the fact that he was raised on high. He sees his standing and uses it for God's kingdom. Does David have the right to think so highly of himself? Does David have the right? Is it kind of bold when he says, listen, I'm the man that's been raised up on high? Would we talk like that in church? Would we talk like that? Especially after his mistakes. We've heard of some of his mistakes so far. He's got some more coming. Would we be able to claim such things? I'm the one anointed. I'm the one that's been raised up on high. We've talked a little bit about this before. I think it's very important again. In the world we live in right now where self-esteem nonsense is being shoved down our throats, I think it's very confusing to people. What do you look at yourself? Do you look at yourself as worth so much and because your accomplishments and, and love yourself and you're a good person and all that nonsense? Or do you actually say, listen, I'm absolutely worthless. I understand that I'm, I'm garbage. I'm a sinner, not able to come off the pavement. Just run me over. I don't know. Okay? It seems like we as Christians have a very hard time balancing these things. And yet, over and over, I see godly people in Scripture that have no problem making these kind of statements. I am anointed and I have been raised on high. Paul says, follow my example. That's a very bold statement. That's a very bold statement. Follow my example. And here David's saying it. Now, what is it? Is he just, you know, having a prideful day? Or can we say these things as Christians? We should be able to. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. He who has established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So let me say this whole self-esteem thing again, I think. Okay? Is that yes... We are not to be ones that find value in ourselves for anything we have accomplished. We are not to be those who find any value in ourselves because of our accomplishments. For God gives, he takes away, and he gives ability. However, our worth in his eyes is extremely valuable. Because we've been created in the image of God, because he spilt his blood for you, because if you are a believer today, you are now an heir to the kingdom and son of God himself. You are absolutely wrong to say you have no value. It is an offense to heaven and to God himself. 
And so how do we do this in a world that anywhere you look, the key to being successful is love yourself first. I hate that nonsense. Okay, and we've talked about this, but you have to get under the understanding that your value comes from someone, a source, not of yourself. I still, uh, there was this crazy little thing going around Facebook. You probably heard it. It was probably stupid, but I love it because it's a great example. Guy pulled out like a $20 bill and said, hey, if I wanted to give you this 20 bill, would you take it? Obviously, the answer is yes, it's $20. Well, what if I stepped on it? What if I tore it a little bit? Would you still take it? Absolutely, because it's still worth $20. And then he said something pretty interesting. He said, well, what if the bill was used for bad things? What if at one point this $20 bill was used to buy crazy illicit drugs or if this was used to go kill someone and pay them off? Who knows? Whatever you want to craziness in. Would you still want the $20 bill? Yeah. Give me the $20 bill because the value of it hasn't changed. Regardless of how it's been used, the value of the $20 bill has not changed because the value is not dependent on what it's used for. The value comes from a higher authority saying this piece of paper is worth $20. And so regardless of how you messed up your life, regardless of how great your life is, your value does not come from those things. Your value comes because there's a higher authority that says, you are worthy. You are worth this. Because I deemed it so. And so because of that, I think David can sit there amongst all his mistakes and all his defeats and all his good accomplishments and say with authority, I am someone that's been raised up on high. And how dare we in this room not say the same thing? Those of us in this room were at one point an enemy of God and on our way to hell. And the day you got saved, that changed. Have you not been raised on high? (laughs) Have you not been? Of course we have, guys. We are seated in the heavenly places with him. Guys, there's nothing that can keep me out of heaven. That's special to me. That's worth something to me. (laughs) Regardless of what I do, I'm worthy to sit in front of him one day. No, I don't get it, but my goodness, we got to get over that nonsense of I'm not worthy. He's made you worthy. You don't run away from the king just because you don't think you should be there. When he's done everything possible to put you there. So yes, I would say easily today, I've been anointed and I've been raised on high. I have been. And so have you if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And do not listen to the world's lie that says your self-worth comes from loving yourself for the good. Because I'm telling you, not only is it wrong biblically, it will depress you. That's what the world doesn't want to tell you. When you really do look at your accomplishments and who you are, it will depress you every single time. (laughs) That's what they don't want to tell you. (laughs) They keep saying, love yourself more, just a little more. That's why there's a lot of people out there that are not happy with themselves. Because they try to love themselves and they understand it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The next thing he says there is he's anointed of the God of Jacob. I like the, uh, the phrase there, God of Jacob. Why does he say this? It goes back into the history a little bit here. David is acknowledging God's plan by saying, I am the anointed of the God of Jacob. He's understanding 
in his own life, maybe it's because of the end of his life now. Now, he is a king that has done more for God than almost any, any other king to that point. He has conquered more land. He has got defeated more enemies. Um, he has established the country. All the, the, the great um, fairy tale kind of story, shepherd turned king, all that stuff. But he wants to, at the end of life, say, listen, I'm anointed by the God of Jacob. I am just another little piece in the timeline. That's all I am, guys. I'm a piece in the timeline. I don't know if I can ever be dogmatic. I just think it's interesting for you to think about why did he say God of Jacob instead of God of Abraham, God of Isaac? Why was it Jacob? Could he relate to Jacob more than Abraham and Isaac? I have no idea. But it's interesting that he wants to put himself in the timeline. Look at the timeline, God. God makes a promise to Adam. Then he makes a promise to Noah. Then he makes a promise to Moses. Now he's making a promise to David. And it keeps going on and on. And there's a spiritual timeline. And you're on that timeline. You and me are on that timeline. And we just have to be faithful to where he put us on the timeline. And that's all David is saying. He goes, listen, I've been appointed... I don't know why God chose me, but I'm just another piece in the puzzle. Just another blip on the timeline. So when we talk about, you know, our lives, God's put you in this specific time for a reason. Don't try to be in another time. Man, I, yes, I would love to, you know, go live 300 years ago, 400 years ago, be trying to fun, but I, those, that's not a good way to think. It's not a good way to think. He's put us here in this time for a specific reason. He is part of something that is a lot bigger than him, God's history. And I do want to say again, um, on Sunday morning, I really I strongly want to em- emphasize, influence, both. Um, we should not take lightly, and I've said it a hundred times I know, we should not take lightly what happens here on a Sunday morning. We should not take that lightly. You are part of the church age, and when you come here on a Sunday and we have church as God has ordained in this timeline, You are part of something that goes way beyond this address. Way beyond. You are joining corporately with the body of Christ. People all over the globe. It's not some fairy tale. It's not some fun thing to say from the pulpit. It's a reality. Every Sunday, that's what you're joining and part of. That's why I don't get that. I just didn't feel like coming to church. It's boring. There is nothing bigger than what happens on Sunday morning in this globe. There's nothing bigger. Heaven looks down and sees on earth thousands of little lights. And maybe God allows the angels to look closer and they observe and they see this is God's redemptive plan. Jesus Christ died on a cross and now people come in buildings, houses, out in fields, all over the world on a Sunday for a few hours to thank Him, praise Him, and learn of Him. There is nothing cooler 
weird. <laughs> be a part of the timeline. Be a part of the timeline. Understand where God's put you during this time. He is the sweet psalmist of Israel. I love this maybe because I played a piano. Of all the titles he wants to see himself as, of all the titles he could have given himself, he can say, hey man, I'm God's anointed king. You know, play the whole game. Saul was anointed by the people. I'm God's anointed king. I'm the number one warrior. I'm Goliath killer. I am, and then the list goes on and on and on. He wants to be known as the dude that played the harp. That's what he wants to be known as. Of all his accomplishments, he wants you to know, I'm the psalmist. I'm the musician. That's who I am. That's how I roll. Okay? Now, that that is so interesting to me, that he would sit there and say those things. And remember back, way back uh, when we first meet him, very skilled in playing, Okay, why does he want to be known as a psalmist? There's a few things. One, I don't know if he really got it. I don't think he did, but hey, you don't know what the Lord might have told him. It is pretty interesting. It's every musician's dream, I'm assuming. We still play his songs. I mean, have we ever grasped that? There's a dude. Can I say dude? There's a dude who used to play in a field on the other side of the world and made songs for his God, and we, thousands of years later, still sing them. We sang one this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. We're, I don't know if David wrote that. I've got to be careful. <laughs> there was other psalms. <laughs> but, guys, it's amazing. He, God blessed him in that way. But, I think the interesting thing is that writing songs, that, that's just completely relational. That was something between him and the Lord. That's where his heart was. His, his king, the, 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 the ruling of being a king, the warrior in him, the fighter, to me those are all duties. That's what he had to do. He was a fighter. He's got to fight. He's king. He's got to lead. No one ever asked him to be a songwriter. No one ever said, David, you have to write songs. This is just his thing. This is his thing under the Lord. And I think that's why it's in the list. Of all the things he's saying, how God has elevated me, and yes, I'm king. Listen, guys, this is just between me and him. This is our thing. I sit there by myself and I write music to my God. Because no one else can touch that. No one else can go near that. I can pour out my heart to Him. And that's why those psalms are so cool. All those psalms that we read. Let me tell you a little bit about music again. Turn to James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Psalms. Sorry. 
In Ephesians 5.19, it says this, Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Songs are always a heart issue. Of those three verses, making melody in your heart, grace in your hearts, are you cheerful, then you should sing. Guys, singing is a heart issue. Now again, some of us can't really sing worth anything. We get that. Some of us got great voices. But I'm going to tell you something, that as much um, stimulus, whatever you want to call it, that's around us today with internet and just always flashing stuff, I think we lose the beauty of singing sometimes. Singing is important. I'm going to tell you something that's kind of been on my heart too. It's important at 11 o'clock too. It's kind of like that's like a warm-up here. It's like let's just get to the preaching. Singing is important. That's why we do it. It is a heart issue as under the Lord. And David got that. If David was here, he would value that time between 11 and 11.20. And who cares about David? The Lord values that time. Music is important to the Lord. It's scriptural because it's a heart issue. From your heart, you love the Lord and you have real feelings about him. And then because of that, you might sing. Now again. If you sing out loud, you don't sing, but you're singing in your heart inside. I, hey, I, I'm not judging anyone. I'm just saying the value of music is important. It's important. It's always a heart issue. And David wanted everyone to know, I am the sweet psalmist of Israel. That's who I am. Okay? I really do think... We would be good to be encouraged with. We have duties in our Christian walk. He had to be king. He had to be a fighter. Um, he had a few things he had to do. And then there are those things in our Christian walk where we just do between us and the Lord. And you've got to have those times. Whatever you do, whether it be singing, whether it be drawing, your little pictures to the Lord, I don't know what you do. But do what you need to do between you and the Lord. Don't lose that. Have your time with him. Express where there's no pressure, there's no duty, there's just you and the Lord. There's you and the Lord time. David understood that. Okay. We're going to go through the next verses rather quickly. He talks about being a king from verses 2 to 4. Verse 4 says, He shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. This is one of those pieces of scripture where he's talking about himself and the future king, Jesus Christ. They will be as light in the morning, illuminating like a clear morning. Their leadership will provide correct instruction and information. Israel was led to look to the Lord when David was king. They will be as the grass after the rain, refreshing and replenishing. This refers to great growth. Under David's leadership, the nation flourished. A true king, a true leader, will provide correct instruction 
information that is clear, that is clear, and causes growth, causes refreshing, replenishing, and growth. And does not the Lord Jesus do that? Can Jesus Christ be any clearer on how to get saved? Aren't you glad it's so simple? You have a problem. I took God's wrath. Believe in me. It's settled. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And so I am glad that they're like that. But the next verse is this, number five. It's like that uh, gut-wrenching verse, and we'll close with this. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and my desire. Even though I, David, knew the truth and tried to live it out, even though I'm supposed to be a good king and I know what a king's supposed to do, I messed up. Remember, David's house is in turmoil. I messed up. Look what he says. My house is not so with God. I know these things are true, but my own family, they're not walking with the Lord. Yet... He has made with me an everlasting covenant. You see, that's where David is so great. Instead of trying to fix his family so much, I'm not saying he didn't. Instead of trying to wallow in his self-pity, instead of going, my goodness, why didn't I just look away when I saw Bathsheba? All that stuff. He clings to God's promise. No matter what I did here, he made a promise. He made a promise to me. Through me, there will be a king one day. So when I look at my family at this present time, I think, oh God, how can you do that? There's no way your Messiah comes through my family because it's completely messed up right now. But I cling to the promise that you made with me, an everlasting covenant. My salvation is the promise which God said he would do. (coughs) The salvation there is this. God, how will it kind of work out? How can you still use me? Isn't it impossible because of my actions? And then look what he says, ordered in all things and secure. God's will cannot be changed by me. Cannot be changed for this all my salvation and all my desire. It is all relational with him. Instead of fixing on present, present circumstances, he clings to that promise This is all my desire. Lord, you made a promise to me that a king will come through me and fix everything one day. And that's all I care about. That's all I care about. And no matter how much we've messed up our lives, the great promise to us is in 1 Thessalonians. It says, may the God sanctify you completely. He who is faithful will do it. Regardless of how we've messed up our lives, we cling to the promise that one day... He does fix everything. And he can take our broken families. And he can take all the craziness that is absolutely us to blame. All our own mistakes. There's nothing that we can sit there and and try to ignore. We messed up. And because of that, we have real consequences. And God can still take that in the next generation, next generation, and do a mighty work. And he can. And one day, he comes to get us as his own. We claim the promise. Guys, I've said it a hundred times. I say it to myself. We cannot lose. 
We cannot lose. (laughs) One day, everything's perfect, regardless of what we do down here. Let's pray. And I'm going to give thanks for the food. I know I kind of called out Mia on the awards. You can see me downstairs, kids. Or Mia. I called you out again. (laughs) I'll try to be down there. But let's give thanks to the... uh, for the food. Lord Jesus Christ, again, we thank you so much um, for who you are, that you would even associate yourself with the line of David. Thank you uh, for your grace and your mercy. Let us have a good time of fellowship. Let us uh, just talk sweet things of you. In your name, amen.